Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Happy 4th of July, everyone. Hope uh, everyone got the appropriate amount of inebriated and or uh, sun drunk or just had some relaxation with family and friends or just you know, found some quiet time if you managed to find that. And also to um, Canadian listeners, happy uh, belated, hopefully long Canada Day weekend. Um, hope everyone had a good time. It's a long way of saying all that. Um, I'm here celebrating. I have a red solo cup, not drinking anything. This is actually just juice or I should say iced tea in here. But as long as the kitchen rentals are going, everything I look like or everything I drink looks like booze because it's coming out of a red solo cup. Uh, Brad, is this the first time we've had a double holiday long weekend and Evan has gone absolutely nowhere? All it took was a pandemic. Just that. Because uh, even during the pandemic, I mean, he found his ways. Because on Thursday or Friday, I messaged you guys and I was like, oh, Evan, I'm assuming we're going to have to go late because you're going to be out at, a, at a cottage all Sunday. And he was like, no, I'm at home. I was like, sir, pardon me? Are you aware there's a holiday? I played an ungodly amount of golf since Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, I made up for it. You As sure you can probably have- hear and see. <laughs> you sure you didn't have to go to like Gregory's Cave Montana or some fake shit like that? No, but I am ready to go on a vacation. Very much so. Uh- you know how when you played old uh, Grand Theft Auto games, when you got a car, they coded it so you saw that car everywhere on the road to represent like the phenomenon happening when you get a car, you see that car everywhere on the road in real life, like it's just like it's a mental thing. Mm-hmm. Ever since you told us about Jackson Hole, Wyoming, I am seeing it everywhere. Like I'm seeing that town or city name everywhere, and I'm still not convinced this isn't just some like big psyop by you. You're paying to plant this phrase in articles and news stories all over the place because I'm there's just absolutely no way it's a real place. Yeah, a little Fourth of July tidbit: uh, Yellowstone National Park, which is just outside Jackson Hole, is the first national park in the U.S. Is it really, or just outside of Jackson Hole? Yeah, I think it's about. 45 minutes maybe an hour depends on who's driving and how many elk are on the road that day i am just so blown away by how little we know about you still after six years of this podcast (laughs) hey that's your problem that that's a you problem (laughs) yeah it certainly is oh man all right hockey time welcome to the winged wheel podcast uh looking worse than evan on his worst days i'm ryan hannah Living in a very different world than Evan, I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Uh, we have a lot to kind of uh, touch on this podcast. The Stanley Cup playoffs have been rolling on. And uh, for better or for worse, we'll touch on what's been happening there. There's some NHL news. Um, an unfortunate occasion, Brad was right about something again. Uh, and then we'll have to talk about the Victor Arvidsson trade. And then we'll uh, we'll dive back into a prospect profile this episode as we're approaching the draft before heading into overtime. Uh, but first, I want to take this opportunity to uh, do a few housekeeping items First and foremost, uh, I want to talk to you about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative and was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father, who you'll know as Red Wings lead announcer, Ken Daniels, 
and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and give them some support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Um, I did a call out for this a few episodes ago, but I stuck it near the end of the episode, and uh, I was, again, very fairly criticized for not doing this properly. So, uh, making a very concerted call out. If you are on Twitter or are interested in being on Twitter and don't follow us already, uh, at winged wheel pod, it would mean a huge amount. Uh, if you follow the show on there, uh, upping that follower count, uh, does quite a bit for us in terms of, uh, growing the show and getting it into more ears and basically just annoying more people with Brad and or my voices, uh, before they discover that Evan is here and, and makes everything a little bit better. Um, no, but seriously, if you go to Twitter at winged wheel pod and then in the bio, uh, lists all three of our personal accounts as well, which you should follow, but, um, would really, really mean a lot. We have a ton of, uh, giveaways and stuff coming as we approach the draft um jerseys more hockey cards apparel things like that um a signed stick from a red wings legend for patreon supporters so stay tuned all right the stanley cup finals i feel like we've we talked about this five minutes ago and the series is already three nothing I said that I hope and I think that Montreal will at least be able to take one game off Tampa Bay. What happened? Um, I believe it was Mike Singletary who said, they are who we thought they were. Um, which is a decent team that was punching above their weight class and everything that was going right for them has regressed to the mean. And in some cases, uh, gone the other way. Carey Price has the worst save percentage to three games of a cup final since Jerry Cheevers in 1977, which means every goalie in the 80s had a better first three game of the cup finals than Carey Price has had this year, which really puts that into perspective. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky has stopped all 19 of Montreal's high danger scoring chances. Uh, Tampa Bay has had 24 high danger scoring chances and Carey Price has a 770 something safe percentage on those. So there's a lot of little nuances we could get into on the series where Tampa's out playing Montreal. But I think the big story is that Carey Price was the main reason Montreal got here and he has gone uh, complete 180 and it's tanked Montreal. I would say Tampa was by far the better team in games one and three, but in game two, Montreal was by far the better team. So this should realistically be a 2-1 series, but, you know, hockey. In my mind, what this does is really expose two things. First of all, every team that played Montreal, especially Vegas, I mean, I'm not saying all of these teams have to be as good or better than a Tampa Bay, but watching Tampa Bay dismantle Carey Price and really pick apart that team pretty much at will when they've been on top of it, which has been most of the series really makes you think, what did all these other teams do wrong? You know? Um, and I'm sure they're watching the ones who can stomach watching in uh, disgust as well, but two, it just goes to demonstrate the power of getting goalied in the playoffs. Timing a, a goalie hot streak is the most common way upsets happen in the playoffs. It's the most common way non first seeds win. 
And it's just, uh, it's the biggest deal breaker. And the moment that fizzles out, you realize what you're left with. Montreal, to their credit, I think is, is really come together, is greater than the sum of their parts. They're super unappreciated in a lot of ways. I mean, Brad pointed out last episode, we talked about Carey Price and, and, you know, some other facets and Cole Caulfield and Kotkaniemi and Suzuki weren't really getting enough love. And those guys have been awesome. And still, when you run into a juggernaut like Tampa Bay and your, you know, flaming hot goalie fizzles out, yeah, I don't, re- I really don't, I can't find a, a good enough analogy for it, but you're just like kind of left there sitting with no clothes exposed. There is literally no aspect of the game of hockey right now that Montreal is better at than Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's defense is better. Their offense is better. Their goaltending is better. Their special teams are better. Tampa Bay has everything going for them. I I was talking with someone about this at work today. You could argue this is the easiest series Tampa's had. They went through the Panthers, Hurricanes, and Islanders to get here. Like comfortably, a Montreal Montreal without a super hot carry price is easily the weakest team they've played. And again, I don't want to, you know, just throw a bunch of revisionist history here because again, Montreal had full value for the way they were playing outside of Carey Price. Like they were also all coming together at the exact right time. But I mean, Winnipeg isn't Tampa. Toronto isn't Tampa. Even Vegas. I I thought Vegas would match up well to Tampa. No, they just, Tampa is their own, in their own tier. If they had Kucherov all year, they are not a third seed in the central now if they had Kucherov all year they're also losing some players but either way it's it's comical like I've been making the joke in every uh preseason episode we do when we when we do our standings predictions I think since the inception of this podcast I'm picking Tampa every year until I have reason to otherwise so Nothing's changed this year. They are the best team in the NHL. They are the best at almost every single position in the NHL. You could actually very reasonably make the case they have the best forwards, the best defense, and the best goaltending in the entire NHL. Um, it's just it's comical how much better they are than Montreal. Evan, you have your uh, you have a pulse on some Montreal fans. How are they feeling right now? Not good. Not good, especially after Game Two, where I thought Montreal was the far better team in that game and they lost that is the panic button for them. And that's when I was like, this is not good. If Montreal can't be the better team and win, I mean, they're getting a taste of their own medicine for the most part. (laughs) Um, That's a game that they should have, could have won and maybe should have won, but yeah, they're, uh, they're holding on uh, for dear life. Like, it's not good for them. Yeah, my buddy, who's a diehard fan, he hasn't said a whole lot lately about it. So you know, he's uh, he's just trying to conjure any voodoo he can to get them back in this series, and it it's going to be impossible. I remember what it felt like after '09, and it was a lot of just kind of putting hockey out of my mind for some time because I was like, that hurt. Because you know Detroit was that close to repeating. You know there's a lot of different in- scenarios where they won that series. A lot of simple things that you know they could do right and should have done right that kind of went wrong. And it was game seven, right? You play that one a hundred times and it's going to go 50-50. But that was on the heels of winning in 08 and winning in 02 and knowing that they'd won back-to-back in 97-98. If you're a Habs fan, 
and you haven't won since 93. And the first time you're going to see the cup again is, you know, 28 years later in your own, possibly in your own building, lifted by the other team. Look, the series isn't over. I would give Montreal's chances of coming back probably the longest odds I would give any 3-0 team I've seen in a long, long time to come back and win. Um, but that's got to be some special kind of pain. If you're a small business owner in Montreal, please invest in some good plywood to board up your windows. I'm uh, not feeling great about infrastructure right now, I guess is a bad way to say it. I don't know if Montreal is a good comparison to the Red Wings of 09, though, because Montreal's they're going to take a moral victory. They're not. This. They're, they're not, but they should. They were the lowest seed going into these playoffs. Like, this is the first true Cinderella story we've seen in the NHL since, what, the 06 Oilers ran to the cup finals? Like, it's been a while. Um, we can all talk about the 2012 Kings, but they were one of the hottest teams in the NHL for the last three months going into the playoffs that year. That did not surprise anybody. The Predators, when they went to the cup finals, again, they were hot going into the playoffs. Did not surprise that many people. Montreal truly surprised everybody just by getting this far. They had, they've been bad for a few years. I mean, literally, they got swept by the 1920 Red Wings. Like, come on. We joke about it, but seriously. Um, and then everybody assumed they'd get obliterated by Toronto. They won. Everybody assumed they'd get obliterated by Winnipeg. They won. Everybody assumed they'd get obliterated by Vegas. They won. Everybody assumed they'd get obliterated by Tampa, and it's happening, but like, you know, can lightning strike four times? No pun intended. Obviously, that's even longer odds. The Red Wings in 09, we were expected to win. Like, in that four-year span, the Red Wings should have had three cups, and I'll still argue that. In 06, they were the best team. In 08, they were the best team. And in 09, they were the best team. And if not for some bad luck and some bad decisions, the Red Wings have three cups in four years. There was expectation there. There was no expectation for Montreal this year, and I think that is going to be the biggest thing they need to focus on this offseason because, again, we look at carry prices over the last three years and Montreal needs to look at this as, as it is. It was a fluke. Like they played well, they earned it, but it was still a fluke and not sustainable. Outside of those three rounds for three years now, carry price has been ordinary. So, you know, if their plan is to ride him every year, they need to come up with a better plan. Look, you're, you're right, Brad. I think that's the correct take. I don't think this is a team that should go full-blown rebuild and accept that we're shit, blah, blah, blah. I think they've uncovered a lot of, you know, not hidden gems, but you re- you re- they really saw what they have in terms of their young core. And I think the correct take here is that they have to take a step back, not expect this every year, and continue to just build sustainably so that when they are true cup competitors, they're like that for longer. But let's look at the reality of this. Mark Bergevin's had a long time with the Habs. This is the first iota of like true, true, like, you know, fans are in the streets partying success that he's had. But before the playoffs, when there's a chance that they might get bumped out of that playoff spot by Calgary, we were talking about Mark Bergevin losing his job in the offseason. Mark Bergevin is not going to do a reset, rebuild, a step back or lower expectations of absolutely any any kind or any matter. He's going to be talking to the Molsons, the owners. He's going to say, yep, I've showed you what we can do. Look at what I've built. Give me the resources and I will bring in even more tools and we are going to 
continue to target the cup now that we know that we're there. Whether or not he believes it, you know, that's a different matter, but that's what he's going to take because he has a job to protect. If he goes to the Molsons now and says, oh yeah, no, this we're not going to touch the cup finals again for another three years because we have to do this, you know, slow and steady, that won't fly. So, and I'm not saying it's not going to pan out, you know, Montreal has shown that they can do it. I don't think it's all luck. I think a lot of it came into play, but you, you see a good foundation. But I still think of all the GMs primed to make some mistakes because they're not reading their situation properly, for better or for worse. Mark Bergevin is at the top of that list. And let me tell you, I have a lot of long daydreams as a Red Wings fan of Steve Eisman calling Mark Bergevin and getting some first-round picks in 2022 and 2023 from him. Oh, I hope so. Tyler Bertuzzi seems right up the rally, so you never know what could happen there. But uh, without getting into a full post-mortem on Montreal before they're even out, looking forward to next year, the divisions go back to normal. Montreal doesn't benefit from being in the weak division. Do they even make the playoffs next year? I don't see them as they are being better over 82 games than Toronto, Tampa, Boston, Florida. Not saying it's impossible. They're still a you know, pretty good team, but they're not an elite team. So unless they take a wildcard spot from an East of uh, Metro division team, I don't know if I, if I'm picking the standings for next year, I don't think I have Montreal in the playoffs, which is crazy to say because they're in the cup final, but like circling back to what I said, this is the first true Cinderella unexpected cup final appearance in 14, 15 years. The long and short of it before, you know, saying that the Montreal is definitely done. Anything can happen in sports is um, if your firstborn child is coming, do not pay thousands of dollars to miss the born, the birth of your firstborn and watch another team lift the Stanley Cup in your barn, please. Whether or not that sign was a joke, I was like, oh, buddy, that did not age well at all. At Does that all. guy know TVs exist? Like, is this his first rodeo? I have an inkling that it was just like a gag, but it was like, oh, man, it was just no, no, not great. All right. Uh, let's jump into some NHL news before our prospect profile here. Uh, Victor Arvidsson uh, traded away from Nashville to L.A. Uh, L.A. acquired Arvidsson as they continue to build up some quality players and, and turn that team around in short order. Well, short, depends on who you ask. Uh, and in return, the Preds acquire a 2021 second round pick and a 2022 third round pick from LA. At first glance, I looked at this, I was like, that's it. But then you factor in Arvidsson's been not the same really since being injured in a pretty big way. Um, not to say he can't return, but it's never a guarantee after injury. And not only that, there was some... Um, Seattle expansion draft exposure considerations here from Nashville, which uh, is how LA got such a, in my opinion, good price on this. But your thoughts on the deal? I mean, yeah, my my first glance at this was that it was a phenomenal deal for LA, like a second round pick. We've talked about the odds. It's, there, that's a 40% chance you get a serviceable NHLer. So Victor Arvidsson, even at a reduced capacity, is a serviceable NHLer, so at a reasonable cap hit. So that's worth it right there. And that's not even factoring in that, hey, he could bounce back. Um, you know, the injuries have derailed him. This is a guy who for three straight years was a 30-goal score not that long ago. I mean, I, I love this gamble from LA's perspective. I get it with Nashville, you know. Um, they were having exposure issue 
issues with the expansion draft. So this solves that and getting a couple picks in returns better than losing him to Seattle for nothing. So I, I fully get it. I'm not saying this is a horrible trade for Nashville. I just think LA did phenomenally well. And you put, he's going to have more of a sporting cast in LA, at least up front than he did in Nashville. So you hope that the Kopitars of the world can, you know, facilitate a little bit more for him. Not that LA's offense is light years ahead of Nashville. They're pretty weak there too, but you know, change of scenery, you never know. So I don't know. I just, I really like this trade for LA, even if Arvidsson never gets back to full form, if he just keeps playing at a half a point per game, like he did last season, it's well worth it. (laughs) You may have seen me smirking. Uh, Arvidsson only scored 29 goals in 2017, 2018. So it was not three seasons in a row. Missed get four wrecked. games, 30 goal pace. Boom. Get absolutely well and truly destroyed, Brad. Keep the change. <laughs> now have Evan, without looking at his computer screen, tell me what Victor Arvidsson's jersey number is. Oh, God, I've no idea. Oh, you know what? In Evan's defense, who nerds, and I'm talking to you, Rowan, remember jersey numbers that intently. Anyways, go ahead, Evan. It's not even on his elite prospect, so is that really even a legit question? Boom. That's what I thought. Um, no, I think, you know what, I think this trade's pretty good on both sides. Like, if Victor Arvidsson can bounce back to uh, when he was, like, scoring 30 goals three years in a row, um, he'd be an excellent addition on L.A. Um and I think the price was pretty good coming back for the Predators. So they get a move on from, from Arvidsson. They get uh, some picks back. Um, and it helps them fi- see the picture a little bit more clear with expansion protection. So I think it's a good move for both sides. Um, one team gets what they want and the other team gets a, a player who, you know, if maybe insert a, de- a little bit further down the lineup now, um, can help refine his game, refine that scoring touch. Um, I thought this was a good move on both sides, and, and both perspectives make sense to me. Speaking of good moves, or maybe the lack thereof, uh, we mentioned last episode that Duncan Keith is being shopped. Some Western teams were interested, and it's emerged uh, that what a lot of people theorized, including Brad, uh, was the most likely candidate in the Edmonton Oilers is actually true. Um, and so Ken Holland and Edmonton are looking at adding the 37, 38-year-old left-handed defenseman to their roster. Duncan Keith is not the player he used to be. I'm not completely familiar with his, you know, redemption arc or how good or bad he's been in the the scope of his decline, but he has declined significantly. Like this isn't Norris Trophy Duncan Keith. We're talking about a Duncan Keith at points where you're saying, why is he on the ice? Not all the time, but still. 37 years old, two years left on his deal, full no move, five point, just over $5.5 million per year remaining. And a team is going to pay to acquire that. Like New York just had to pay Detroit a second to take Mark Stahl. A year of Mark Stahl at, you know, roughly similar cap hit. And a team is going to, like, we don't know what the end result will be or if the trade will even happen. But I just cannot imagine adding a 37-year-old Duncan Keith is going to make a a massive 
impact on that group. I don't know. Like, I get that it's a different school of thought a lot of the times with the way Ken Holland likes to run teams and maybe the, the opinion we have, but I just can't see how it would be worth it. If, if Chicago's paying Edmonton to take him, then absolutely. I actually see a lot of value in that deal for Edmonton. Veteran leadership, you know, good in the room, maybe can play third pair minutes and you get money or you get an asset for taking him. Sure. But if they give anything up, I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that at all. If I'm, you know, a fan of the Oilers. Well, the rumors have been flying around. Apparently the Hawks are in on Seth Jones. Um, and the rumor is they want to get Caleb Jones out of Edmonton in this deal. I heard they're in on Dougie. All in on Dougie Hamilton as well. Yeah, they're trying to turn it around quick. Um, so there's a lot of possibilities here. Again, if Edmonton's giving up any asset, I don't care if it's a seventh round pick. This is insane. Uh, Jay Fresh's report cards has Duncan Keith's war at a 1%, which means he's statistically one of the worst players in the league. Now, my argument against that is he was still playing in a top pair role in Chicago on a weak team. So, of course, he's being thrown to the wolves. Do I think Duncan Keith is good? No. Do I think there's a world where he's a serviceable number six defenseman where half his salary is retained and, you know, you get like a fifth round pick to take him from Chicago? Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world to me. Um, Although Edmonton's got a ton of young defensemen and like they are just not finding spots for them. Uh, doing everything in their power to actually leave spots closed for them, which, you know, we're getting the full Ken Holland experience this week. He signs an eight-year contract to afford that nobody thinks is going to be good for eight years. Um, <laughs> and then he goes and trades for an aging vet who's way over the hill. Like this is some, sometimes old habits die hard. Sometimes old habits don't die at all. I, there's a reality where this works here. There is a logical reality that works here. You you get your asset from Chicago, you take on Duncan Key's contract, either Chicago retains half or you get an, an intermediary team to uh, retain a bit for a pick, whatever. And then Edmonton plugs him in as the number 60. And don't get me wrong, there's value to having Duncan Keith around the room. He has been there, done that, and Edmonton has not, uh, at least not in any of their current players' lifetime. Um, so I, I get it. It's just, we all know that's not how this is going to go. We all know Ken Holland's going to pay an asset, probably a half decent one, to acquire him. And it's going to go horribly. The the surprising thing to me is apparently Seattle's in on this as well, which Seattle's got a smart GM and a strong analytics team. They, they are the last team I would think would be involved in Duncan Keith unless they were getting a very good asset with Duncan Keith to make it happen. I totally get it from a team like Seattle. You know, removing the wild expectations of them doing the same thing that Vegas did. You were a new team. You want a face and you want a personality and you want character on your team and you want that established early. When people talk about winning culture and locker room culture and things like that, like that is not nothing. Like that's not just always coach speak. That's not just a a way of saying, I don't understand how hockey teams win. That's real. And you don't have to have played hockey to know that. And you can see it on the ice when you see teams that are – look at the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They are arguably at any given point the most talented teams in terms uh, – a team on in the NHL in terms of who they have on their roster. And they can never put it together. And a lot of that is is surrounding – you know, the the culture of success, the culture of winning. Red Wings fans are, are incredibly familiar with that. 
when you are a team like Seattle and you're working from a blank slate, you have a lot of advantages, but you also have a lot of catch up to do to build that culture. And you have one shot to get it right early. You bring in a veteran who has cup success and is well respected by players and fans and you know executives around the league. I do see an inherent value of having a Duncan Keith on your team. Not, you know, he shouldn't be your first pairing D, but I, I see the value there for sure. And then you add the kicker of if they can get an asset from Chicago to take him, then yeah, that's a smart GM doing a smart GM thing. But I, I think Seattle's in a different position than the other 31 teams here. I mean, that's the exact benefits I laid out for Edmonton, like almost verbatim into what they need and what they would be getting with Duncan Keith as long as the cost is right and the deployment is right. Again, I'm going to repeat, I have zero faith in either of those things happening, but that would be the ideal situation there. Um, yeah, Seattle makes sense from that standpoint, but at the same time, there's gonna be a lot of players like that who you can just have in the expansion draft. So if Chicago's not giving you an asset to take them, there'd be no point because the big rumor right now is Mark Giordano's going to be exposed in Calgary. So if you want Duncan Keith, you can have a Mark Giordano, less cups, but like no cups, but he's well, been around the block for almost two decades. So they'll flip Giordano though. He's too valuable to keep, right? Yeah, exactly. So. I'm just saying there's there's a million ways you, they could go with this. Um but yeah, I we jokingly said when Duncan Keith requested requested the trade, uh, this has Ken Holland written all over it. Um all you right. Know Duncan Keith has dual citizenship with the with uh Great Britain, UK? Really? Yeah, it's on his Ill- elite prospects. You're just full of facts today. <laughs> I yeah, I found that surprising we should uh, we should make that a recurring segment fact of the day with evan it's up to you whether it's hockey related or not it could be about you know the elevation of golf courses in the pacific northwest or you know an nhl player's dual citizenship here's a fact i can't putt there's a fact (laughs) we we can call it fun facts we can call it fun facts with evan and we can give him an itinerary book and he can just be that dude from euro trip sure that's uh, that aligns more with Evan's personality than anything else we've ever asked him to do on the show. Um, okay, let's move on here to uh, a prospect profile. We're getting closer to the draft. The conversations are narrowing in on a, a specific group of prospects at each range that, the, that Detroit's drafting in the first round. But still, we want to cover a lot of prospects uh, leading up towards the you know, late end of July. So today's uh, prospect profile is on center out of the US NTDP, Chaz Lucius. Brad, take us away. He's small. He has a lengthy injury history. And yet we're still talking about him as a legitimate top 10 candidate. So what, what does that tell you immediately without getting into who he is as a player? What he's good at He is exceptionally good at, and for Chaz Lucius, that is scoring goals. And despite being small, almost all his goals come from the home plate area in front of the net. He has exceptional hands in tight, like easily best in the draft. I don't care how skilled Kent Johnson is, how tough and good with the puck Mason McTavish is. You get anybody in this draft within 15 of the net, 15 feet of the net, you want that to be Chaz Lucius. Now, He's good in other areas. Like he, he's one of those types of players where he's he's above average at most things in the game of hockey without going, you know, each little intricacy. But that one thing is so exceptional. 
how he can work through players and around players and find space and track the puck that he's going to be intriguing. Um, I forget one of the interviews we did. I asked someone about Chaz Lucius just because there's always that guy that jumps way up the board, the Barrett Haytons of the world, the most Siders of the world, the guy that goes in the top 10 that nobody saw coming. But when you look back at it in hindsight, a lot of the time you probably should have seen coming. I, I have no basis for saying it, but my gut tells me that could be Chaz, Chaz Lucius in this one just because of how exceptional a goal scorer he is. And he's got a really good shot as well. So he is dangerous from distance as well. So it's he's a fascinating prospect because we know what he's great at, but we haven't seen him play a ton relative to everybody else in this draft because he has been hurt a lot. If the Red Wings were, you know, three to four picks later, I would be seriously looking at Chaz Lucius and saying this might be the gem that you can get at pick like nine or ten. Um, everything Brad said was right. There's a lot of apprehension for Lucius because admittedly he's not, you know, wonderful defensively. Uh, once you get out of the offensive zone, what you can speak of positively for his game off the puck goes away quick. Uh, and his skating isn't the best. And... That usually adds, you know, you you compound that with the injury history and you're like, what kind of player are you going to get at the NHL level here? Will he stick as a wing? Will he be able to do what he does? I have a lot of confidence that if he makes it, he'll make it in an impactful way in the NHL. Um, everything that Brad mentioned just speaks to his prowess in the offensive zone. He's able to score. He's able to score from not the dirty areas, but high danger areas. And that's not a coincidence. Like he, he has the offensive intelligence to get in those spaces, uh, find the space or create it for his teammates even, and really kind of laser that shot in. He can shoot through traffic super well. It's not like he has this unreal clapper or anything like that. He's just a super smart shooter. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about his playmaking as well. The, the shooting is and the goal scoring is the hallmark of his game, but he does have that playmaking ability, which comes from an all-around intelligence, in my mind, in the offensive zone. Uh, you see, you'll see a lot of people write about Lucius drawing players away or, or creating space or finding space, and it does not take a lot of film to realize that that's what he's able to do. In my mind, from this, I'm looking at this from a Red Wings perspective, there are too many similar level talents with less risk for me to, to, to rank Chaz Lucius super high at six overall for Detroit. But for those who have him up there, I do not begrudge them at all. I don't, I can't sit there and say that that's a bad ranking because if Chaz Lucius, you know, breaks through, and he really pans out, you, Brad's right. You're going to be talking about this guy. Like, how did we miss him? So it's just about risk assessment there. Um, this would be a way easier call for me to say, yeah, have take Chaz Lucius if Detroit is picking, you know, nine or 10. Yeah, I think I see him more as a winger in the NHL just because his skating is not great. Um, mind you, I think a good skating coach could drastically improve his skating ability. Either that would make him a competent winger in the NHL or if every, all the stars align, maybe he could play some center. Um, but his defensive game, I because because he does cheat offensively a little bit. Um, his defensive game doesn't look seem that all all that great to me. Um, so that's where I keep thinking he'll be a, end up being a winger. Um, but his goal scoring ability is undeniable. Like he has goals in every single type of way, and scouts and GMs will jump for that. Um, so I I wouldn't take him at six, that's for sure. But um. 
if he's laying around at 23, I would be shocked. And that would, I would be, he's an intriguing pick. Um, I, I would have no problems with Detroit taking him. Um, I think if he can work out his skating and um, get some defensive zone teachings, uh, he could be a very good player in the NHL. I don't think we should be so quick to dismiss him at six. Again, not my pick on my rankings. Um, He's in that tier, that second tier for me, though, for whatever that's worth, which goes to, I think, pick 13 in my rankings. If he did what he did over a full season sample, there's no way he's not a, a favorite to go at six. He yeah. He's that good. And he was scoring at the USNTDP at like a goal per game pace, which is crazy. It sucks that he got sick before the U18s and we couldn't see him against his peers. So he is the true wild card. Now, he was a top prospect going into this season. So what he did this year was not an aberration. He was a top 10 potential from the get-go this season and the fact that he only played a handful of games but lit it up isn't surprising this is what we expected from him it just wasn't a lot of it because again if we're just quantifying goal scoring as a stat as a skill overall he's top of this draft it's just like ryan mentioned there's a lot of risk with this pick so Eisman's done it before. He picked Brett Connolly sixth overall, even though I think Connolly played less than 10 games in his draft year. He is not afraid to take players who have injury histories at this age. And Brett Connolly obviously didn't pan out. Hindsight 2020 was a bad pick, but just Eisman wasn't afraid to do it. So, and, and I think Chaz Lucius now has way more upside than what Connolly did when he got picked. So I'm not going to be mad if the Red Wings pick him. I will be nervous because of all the risk associated with it but if Lucius hits like he hits a lot of the reasons Caulfield and Debrinket fell or some of the excuses I see around Lucius and <laughs> we know how those played out so I'm not saying it's a one-to-one comparison I don't think he's as good as either of them but it is worth mentioning it's funny because this is the draft where I was like and I, I think broadly this still holds true for me but coming into it, I said, there's probably a group of eight players, any of which I could be equally happy with. Um, but even now, I'm zeroing in on like four or five guys, which is about the range that we get to if Detroit's not drafting first or second, which doesn't happen if you're a Red Wings fan. Um, Lucius, admittedly, I haven't given enough attention to. And, and you're right, Brad, we probably should do a bit more in that regard. Um, yeah. Some teams this draft are going to take risks and they're going to get burned for it. They're going to waste some serious draft capital. And if you're a team like the Buffalo Sabres, that's going to hurt you in a big way. And some teams are going to take risks, maybe on a guy like Lucius, maybe on a guy like Edmondson, where a lot of people have have fears about his game. And they're going to look like geniuses for it. And there's going to be so much, you know clarity and retrospect and there's going to be a whole lot of 2020 hindsight in a year or two uh a la quinn hughes i'm I'm still not pretending that everyone was right about quinn hughes like it's ridiculous the the retroactive or the retconning that goes on about quinn hughes um there's going to be a lot of conversations of how did we miss it or how did we mess this up and yeah i i mean the truth is if we knew who that was for certain um we'd probably bring that to Steve Eisman before the podcast so we can get you know paid for it. But in reality, everyone's just like, you look at 
pick the the prospect person, whether it's you know from a major network or independent that you like the most, and then find the next five people after that, and you're going to find six different opinions. It's it's impossible to pin that down. And Chaz Lucius is firmly in that mix. If Detroit takes him at six, I'm saying that's really not who I expected based on who else was on the board, but I can absolutely see why they took it. You're right, Brad. Like the, the precedent is there. He also had, uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned it, but he had 13 goals with the U18s as well and 20 points in 13 games. So, yeah, this guy, like, it's not an anomaly. Like, this guy can score and he can score in bunches. Um, so, if this is the guy they want, then there's precedence for uh, a big boy pick at six. Time will tell. Time will tell. More draft content coming up in future episodes. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime now, uh, and we're going to start with our incredible Patreon supporters. Uh, if you uh, are able and want to help support the show, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. It means a ton to us. Uh, patrons, uh, there's going to be a ton of giveaways uh, coming up approaching the draft that are open to everyone. Uh, Patreon supporters are actually always automatically entered. You don't have to do anything extra for that. Uh, you can have additional entries if you participate, however it is. Usually it's on Twitter, like follow or retweet or what have you. Uh, but we're also going to be doing Patreon exclusive stuff. Uh, like I said, a signed stick is the big draw this year, uh, as well as some more, you know, jerseys, cards, things like that. Anyhow, we're going to get to questions starting with Patreon. Bill Nye the Thigh Guy. <laughs> Oh, shit. You guys are funny. Uh, it says, happy America Day, dub dub boys. Uh, just kidding. I'll keep my America per 60 within reason so I don't sound like a douche canoe. You guys have been killing it with the content and the interviews you've been uh, doing and are only getting better. Uh, much appreciated, Bill Nye, the thigh guy. Says, I also just realized that Kucherov has scored more points in the playoffs than any Red Wing all season. I have no words. I saw that stat and every time I, I read it, I try to actively push it out of my brain. So thank you for that. Uh, how close are... The winged wheel, how close is the winged wheel podcast returning to the studio? And have we thought about doing a watch party or stream, uh, for the game tomorrow? Okay. Uh, we are very close to returning to the studio. There's a lot of things kind of up in the air where we live right now, just in terms of restrictions. Um, but it's a conversation that is ongoing and we're hoping it's sooner rather than later, but we'll keep you all posted. Um, a watch party or a stream for the game tomorrow. It depends on how available we are. Uh, Evan's moving into a new house. And uh, I don't know what Brad does besides two toddlers, but that seems like way too much time commitment for one person. And I cry a lot lately. So it just really depends on our availability. But maybe we can whip something together. Maybe. Keep an eye on Patreon or the Discord. Sebastian Vettel's hairline says, Hey, guys, big fan of the pod. I was wondering if you... Uh, would be going to conventions when things open up. Uh, Brad, are you going to SawCon? <laughs> I thought he had you. I thought he had you with that one. Have you heard it or did my grin give it away? It's pretty goddamn obvious. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, though, how many years did Bergevin extend his tenure with this deep cup run? Thanks for all you do. Peace. I'd say he gets at least two more seasons after this. And as long as it's not catastrophic, if he makes the playoffs in both those years and still gets bounced, I'll say two more seasons guaranteed. That That's my thought. I say if he misses the playoffs next year, he's gone. 
if he misses the playoffs. Because again, yeah. it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this is their aberration. This is not normal. This is not repeatable. So if he does it now, there's a reality where he improves a team in the offseason and they actually are legitimate contenders. Um, they are only a couple pieces away. So it's possible. But if he doesn't and they miss the playoffs, yeah, I could see him getting kicked quickly. Josh Brink says, getting past the cap issue, looking at you, BJ, uh, where does Kucherov rank as a player in the NHL right now? Quietly, he's had two dominant back-to-back playoff runs and has shown how invaluable he is to this Lightning team. Obviously, McDavid is number one, but would you put him in the McKinnon-Matthews-Eichel tier? Thanks for the great content. In the world of podcasts, you guys are in the McDavid tier. That is incredibly kind of you to say. Um, It depends on the tiers because my tiers right now are McDavid's in his own. Then I have McKinnon and Crosby kind of in their own. And then I would say Kucherov's in the mix for fourth best player in the world right now. If Kucherov's name was um, Connor, Donner McCrepid. (laughs) Dude, what happened? All right, hold on. Oh my god, fast, I don't know. Right, fast face, uh, arm. How do we check for a stroke again? Oh my goodness, symmetry. There were so many names coming to my brain at once. That's the best I could come up with, dude. That's that's all that came out. They all came out. Oh my god, if his I'm name so was sorry. John Smith from Red Deer, Alberta. People will be comparing him and McDavid to one another right now. No. Uh, McDavid, yeah. McDavid, obviously, to me, is still the number one, but I would say people think he's the second best player in the world. Connor McDavid just won a unanimous heart trophy. There is nobody in his tier. I just said he was the second best player in the world. Yeah, but he's not going to be talked about like McDavid. You could argue he's up there for second best player in the world. I don't have him there, but if you could absolutely make that case, but McDavid's in his own reality. If he was French-Canadian... Quebec would say he's the best player in the world. No, oh, yeah. yeah, but Quebec says that about friggin' Philip Deneau right now. So <laughs> go look at certain uh, Montreal media members' tweets about this team right now. You don't have to go too far to find that. I I think I come in somewhere in the middle. I think Evan's absolutely right. There's a lot of inherent bias against Kucherov. Uh, Tampa Bay's villainy role in the NHL right now is only adding to that. I think if you're separating into tiers, he's in whatever tier is right behind McDavid. And yeah, I will say that until his performance dictates otherwise, but I don't think that'll happen anytime soon. No regular season points though. So bit of a scrub. What a bum. Only a playoff performer. (laughs) Cody Stark says, Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the Starko spices. Uh, We got them. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to pick them up from Brad. Elska Lucille Stark was born on July 1st. Cody. Congratulations, buddy. Newest fan of the Winged Wheel. No, I'm kidding. Newest Red Wings fan. Uh, there is a Winged Wheel, podca- or a Winged Wheel podcast onesie coming her way. But seriously, that's incredible news. Uh, he says she was about a month early, so she's been, uh, she's been in the NICU, but she's uh, doing so well, and so is mom, hoping to be home soon. Her first question for the Winged Wheel podcast, boys, when should my parents put me on skates? ASAP. That's up 
That's up to her. Every kid's built different. Uh, we had Mika up on skates when she was about two and a half, uh, and it went really well, obviously. Um, Hank is an animal, so we're probably going to have him up on this, up on skates this fall, and he turns two this fall. So, um, you know, some kids, if they're late developers in terms of size, you might have to wait a little longer. It's, it's entirely up to them. It's more physiological than it has to do with age, honestly. Um, yeah. In in terms of built different, Hank is truly built different. That dude's a monster. But no, Cody, seriously, congratulations to you uh, and Mrs. Stark um, on the birth of Elska. Really, really exciting. Uh, I've been waiting for that news, actually. you've uh, We've been waiting for it for some time. So um, that's really great. And hopefully you guys get to go home soon. Matt S says, uh, I guess we can't have nice things this year because it looks like the luck has run out for Montreal. I'm still hoping for a 2010 Flyers or 2014 Kings who come back from a 3-0 deficit or at least like 2011 Detroit and make it competitive to get to a game seven. We'll see tonight. Keep up the good work as always, Dub Dubs. We are spoiled with the content you three provide. Thank you, Matt. Uh, League maximum fine of $5 says, what's the most likely candidate in the Red Wing system to greatly outperform their draft slot that was drafted in the second round or later? Um, I think right now the answer is pretty obvious if we're being honest, and that's Albert Johansson because he's he already kind of has and he hasn't even got to North America yet. So he's probably the best bet. Um, Wallander, Joseph. if everything goes right for him, like we said, but that's a long shot because he does have a long way to go and he is a project, but the tools are there. Um, yeah, no other super strong candidates, maybe. Bergen was a second round pick, but yeah, I, I'll say Johansson. Yeah, Joseph mentioned Bergen, and I think that's a really good point there. But yeah, those those defensemen that were kind of taken in the second round or second and third rounds are probably in terms of surpassing their draft value by the most. That that's where you're going to find the most. But no, Bergen just by nature being drafted so close to the first round, I think will be there as well. Uh, Colorado 14ers says the Tampa Bay or the Tampa cap circumvention method is easily fixed by mandating playoff rosters only being comprised of players who played a certain percentage of regular season games. MLB postseason players have to be on the active roster by September 1st. And I don't think that's unreasonable. Sure. Guys like Caulfield would, uh, wouldn't have made it this year either under such a rule, but as a wise man once said, there is no solutions, only compromises to me. This is a good one. You know, I do. There is a simple solution here. Enforce the cap in the playoffs. You Your nightly roster has to be cap compliant. Now, if in the playoffs, you can carry expanded rosters because of injuries and yada, 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 and that is totally fine. If the crew you are traveling with is worth $150 million, fine. But the team you are actually putting on the ice has to be cap compliant. It's that simple. So if you have to scratch an Alex Kalorn and a Ryan McDonough because you're 10 mil over the cap, so can be it. That's the rule. That's the cap. Carry as many players as you want, but your game night roster is under the number. Uh, okay. Jonathan Melwish says, hey, guys, which playoff team this year will have the biggest drop off next year? Oh, I, I think the obvious answer here is Montreal. <laughs> Cup final to probably not making the playoffs. <laughs> That's my bet. Um, I don't know. I 
I keep feeling like the cliff's coming for Boston, but it never friggin' happens. So I've stopped betting against them. So I I don't know. I I think Montreal's the obvious candidate, and I don't see a lot of other good candidates. If Carolina, if Nadelkovich doesn't repeat and they lose Dougie Hamilton, Carolina could be a dark horse team to get worse. But yeah, it's it's obviously Montreal. Jeremy Dahl says, hey, guys, fantastic work as always. So the Canadians haven't even been leading at all this series. As a residential hater of all Canadian teams, this brings me great joy. Do you think this will save us from a copycat league copying their boring shutdown style? That's my biggest concern. Um, No, because shutdown styles are how a lot of teams who are under-equipped in terms of offensive talent. uh, That's how they deploy their systems to compete with set teams offensively talented teams in the playoffs so i think that's just a natural thing that's going to happen some years it's more effective than others montreal had to have a lot go their way this year for it to be as effective as it was a couple bounces in any you know the vegas series or the toronto series and we're not looking at this even being a conversation um also can you do me a favor and post your top six prospects in the draft every year when they pick i frantically write down the players you guys are excited about so when i'm stuck at work during the draft i know if i can be excited I was excited last year when we got Raymond, all because of you. A list would help. Cheers, boys. You're fantastic. Can't wait. List, wait can't wait to listen to you slam the Habs. <laughs> wow. You were right on that one. Uh, we'll have said list out very soon. There's a lot of that content, and we're going to build it out properly for you. So stay tuned for that. Um, oh, I think this might be uh, one of my favorite names in a while because I hope it's recurring. This is from Hey Evan. The question is, Hey, Evan, if you had to fight third graders and they come at you in waves of 10 and occasionally there's a fifth grade boss, how many waves would you survive? Just trying to remember how big I was in grade three and five. I think I'd beat that ever living hell out of a <laughs> good solid wave of grade threes. How many did they say? 10? Yeah, waves of 10. Wait, oh, that's a big waves, man. Waves of Evan, 10. Evan's not making it to the third wave. We know no. what your cardio's like, man. That's yeah. true. That is true. But no one said how long each wave is. So well, I could, as long as I, you survive. <laughs> I, can, uh, I can time this out, but I think I could get through a few waves. You know, give me... I think I could get at least five waves of kids. Oh, that's 50 kids. Dude. They're small. You only have to... You only have to apply so much force to take down a third grader. <laughs> but they're wily. Like eight and nine year olds are wily. And they're like gonna they're low. dirty. I, I have yeah. no hip flexibility, so they're nice and low. I can just I'm just gonna roundhouse kick a bunch of third graders. <laughs> oh, that's gonna get clipped. Uh Sam W says, Hey WWP crew. <laughs> Who are some players on other teams that'll have some value, but have a contract that's a bit too heavy, but just for two to three more years? Like you mentioned, we can afford to take on a bit of contract, fill out the roster, and maybe get an asset to return in the process. So the obvious answer here is Tyler Johnson, and we've talked about that because he was waived last year, or at the beginning of this, I guess what's still this season is happening right now. Uh, Does Jake Gardner qualify for you here in your mind? Because he's got two years left at just over $4 million. I mean, I would take him for an asset, yes, but I don't think Jake Garner is a very valuable player. I mean, he'd be fine, um, but yeah, not one I would go out in hopes of giving the team a boost. He'd be better than Mark Stahl was, right? In Blashill's system? I don't think so. Like, Blashill's system is tailored to guys like Mark Stahl. 
Um, so it, it's not, we shouldn't be surprised Stahl had a bounce back year, like hindsight being 2020. I don't think Gardner survives in it, uh, or survives is the wrong word. Thrives is probably a better word. I don't know. I'm trying to think around the league of teams that are in cap trouble where there might be some decent contracts. Like looking at Vancouver, I'm not thinking of a lot. Uh, Tampa, Vegas. Well, Tampa, you could say for half the roster. Uh, Vegas, I don't know of any good candidates that they wouldn't just want to keep for obvious reasons. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not coming up with great answers here off the top of my head. Uh, Clint Banesh says, hypothetical, let's say Eisman wants to get into the top five of the draft this year. What would be a good match for the expendable assets the Wings currently have for one of the top five teams? The twist, Eisman also wants to keep his sixth overall pick. My, I, I'm wow. not going uh, to advocate for this, but for the sake of the hypothetical, I think Buffalo is a team that needs to have as short of a rebuild as possible, considering they're on the third try of the same rebuild. The Red Wings offer pick 23. You know, they have lots of seconds. They have lots of thirds. I, I don't think Eisman's offering any first, even in a hypothetical from future years. Um, you know, pick 23 seconds. If he wants to move a guy like, I don't know, Valeno, Berggren, Zadina even, you can probably, I think first overall this year, you can pry away. Again, this isn't something I would do. I wouldn't advocate for it, but I think it's it's workable and Buffalo would be interested because they'd be able to add more high-end talent and volume because they're losing high-end talent and volume right now. So I'll, I'll, I'll counter one point. I think Seattle and Anaheim are more likely to move their pick because Seattle, they need volume, so they'd be a contender to open it up, but I don't think they would be willing to trade out of the top 10. They need that excitement for their franchise. So I would look at Anaheim. That's three picks without giving up six though. Like second seconds aren't getting it done. Like it's got to be like 23 and Zadina. Like they're not going to consider anything less than that. They'd, and they'd be crazy too. Um, like you're not giving up four second round picks and pick 23 to get a, the third overall pick, even in a week draft. So I, I get it, but you're not getting there without pick six, honestly. Uh, Dylan K says, hey, guys, I have a lot of fun uh, going back through old shows during work uh, and loved hearing old takes with the benefit of hindsight. Question for all of you, what past take on a player prospect or anything else are you most proud of looking back and what take are you most ashamed of? Oh, the one I constantly bring up is is trying to defend DeKaiser's contract because I thought he would still continue to develop further. Um that's one that was, you know, bad from the start. So again, hindsight's 2020, but yeah, that was one where I still look back and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we missed quite a bit. I'm trying to think of one that I or we got really right. I don't know what else you guys have in terms of like your worst takes, but what are like the best takes that you have? The problem is I don't have a good memory for like <laughs> we talked five like, six years together like i know going back a couple of years i was really bullish on zegris and caulfield in their draft year and that's looking pretty decent so far um i was bullish on kirby doc the other way and that's looking pretty bad so far but again the term it's all is rel- <clears throat> the term is bearish you paper-handed bitch whatever like me whatever. with amc yeah yeah um but yeah, so but those are relatively recent, so those could still swing, right? So I, I can't even sit here and say 
The one I was right on in a bad way is I hated the Rasmussen pick when we made it, and uh, we were right to. Um, I was big on Suzuki and Lilligren, so Lilligren I was dead wrong on. Suzuki I was dead right on. So yeah, that's that's if that's as far back as I can remember before it starts getting to be bad. Zegris is the it, we talked about this last episode. We already did too much of a. Um I toot our own horn here, and I think Evan <laughs> Evan made fun of you for it. Uh, but the Zegras thing is one where I yeah, felt very strongly about Zegras, and he so far turns out to be penning out well. Uh, New Hook is someone that I know we were big on, and and I know Colorado appreciates. Uh, Jacob Chikorin comes to mind. I was huge on Jacob Chikorin. I wanted the Red Wings to pick Jacob Chikorin so badly, and in the context of the Datsu contract – you know, at the time we were like, man, I get the reason to trade away this contract because it's hindering this team at the cap when they were still for whatever godforsaken reason trying to compete. But we like, I, yeah, we wanted Chikrin. Yeah, it was for Stamkos, but we wanted Chikrin so badly. And then initially with Hronik, it was like, well, they got Hronik and they got the chance at Stamkos. But now it's like, ugh. It's yeah. funny. I went back and looked at my tweets from that draft because I was like, how did I react to it? After pick 15, I literally was tweeting pictures of Jacob Chikrin at the Red Wings <laughs> Twitter account. I'm like, this guy right here. And then you could see my anxiety ramp up as Bettman went to the stage. So talk yeah, about like it's funny looking back. Talk about like just poor execution. Like to find out the Red Wings didn't even talk with Stamkos, and that was the the mastermind play that Ken Holland drew up. Like, oh, that's that's inexcusable, really. Like, you think you got to play at a guy, and then he doesn't even talk to you? Yeah, that's that's bad. That's really bad. Uh you know, not going to get into the whole conversation here because we have to move on. But one thing that's mentioned is at some point, a lot of uh, the Red Wings magnetism to free agents went away. And Mike Babcock was a big factor in that. So next comments from Evans Mathematics PhD says, hey, fellas, I realized I'll be hiking in Yellowstone during the expansion in NHL drafts, praying for good cell service. So I won't be the only Red Wings fan to not know we took Wallstead at six. I've been listening for a year now, and I'm curious to know how you guys got to know each other and how you decided to start this podcast. So we we try to interject uh, inject the story every so often, so that new listeners know. But the long and short of it is, um, we are three dudes who are in one way or another. We all live in the same region. It's more or less Leafs land around here. Um, where I w- was born and raised was 50-50, right across the river from Detroit and Windsor. Um, 50-50 Leafs and Red Wings with some Habs sprinkled in there. But yeah, we were. Three dudes who, in some respect, want to do this, talk Red Wings and, and start a podcast. And it was Brad who put the call out. We all met up. Uh, I met someone from the internet at a Tim Hortons. Brad didn't stab me in the face that day, which was great. And we just literally started doing it. So this friendship and this sh- and everything was born on the show. So those of you who have been listening from the beginning or a long time have literally listen to us grow as friends as well and i'm i'm from the bottom of my heart i can say wow i'm shocked that we haven't killed each other and i can't rule it out yet the pandemic's Uh, helped because i googled how to kill someone through a computer multiple times (laughs) 
<laughs> Number one, Steve Ott fan says, I saw some Oilers fans on Twitter talking about the impending Dylan Holloway for Duncan Keith trade. One of them mentioned that Ken Holland has never been fleeced before. Another fan agreed, mentioning that they might have trust issues because of Chirelli. Just thought I'd share. Honestly, after Chirelli, they're not wrong. Ken Holland's a big improvement. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair, but... Um- we know Ken Holland has the capacity to make fantastic trades and he's done it. The Tatar trade was phenomenal and it still has an impact on the Red Wings. It's just which trade are you going to get? Are you going to get a salvage? Are you going to get – it's so easy to look back retroactively. I'm honestly not too concerned about trades for – Ken Holland's I'm starting the rebuild trades, fantastic. Ken Holland's I'm trying to compete trades – not as good. Uh, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, hey, boys, do you have any favorite historical non-sports related moments? One of mine is the Viking battle of Stamford Bridge in England where the Norse invaders. Oh, I know this one. Norse invaders were surprised by the English and a single Viking berserker uh, held the English army at bay at a choke point, allowing the Norsemen to regroup. The berserker killed 40 men at the bridge before he fell after an English warrior rammed a spear into his crotch through the planks of the bridge from below. The Norsemen lost the battle and it's said that the battlefield was so full of bones for 50 years afterwards that the field was white, brutal times. Um, Big fan of uh, Vimy Ridge and the role that the Canadian Army played in that one. Um, That is, you know, there's a lot of World War history, especially uh, growing up in Canadian schools. You get a lot of like specific battles and stuff. So Vimy Ridge is one of mine. I watched Uh, 300 a couple times. Oh, man, that's just that movie holds up, eh? Yeah, the old Battle of Thermopylae. Yeah. Honestly, Patreon exclusive. Yeah, sure. Let's put a GoPro on you for 18 holes on a golf course. But even more than that, give you a cup of whatever, like a glass of whatever drink you want, a cigar, and just talk about history or facts or whatever. Sure. I got, yeah. (laughs) I mean, there'll be literally zero useful footage or vocal tracks for the golf because I'll just be swearing the entire time. But yeah, let's do it. Uh, Vaxed, waxed, and at the 69th annual SawCon. Says, hey, fellas, back in New York City after spending the week in Michigan with my brother, sister-in-law, and my perfect five-month-old niece who will one day rule the world with an iron fist and drink the blood of our enemies, starting with Regis Pierre Maguire. In many mock drafts, I found myself gravitating towards uh, gravitating to the same players after the first round. Red Savage, Vili Koivinen, Daniil Cheka, uh, Kirill Garasimyuk. Garasimyuk, Dylan Duke, Sean Behrens, Victor Stiernborg. However, mock drafts admittedly feel more like exercises in futility and inflated expectations. Last year, I was a real high on Emil Andre when he was taken by Philly right before the 55th, and I was pounding the table for Roni Hervonen or Jeremy Poirier, and instead saw this head-scratching decision to take Cross Hannes. I feel like we're going to see a ton of that this year in what is sure to be a crapshoot. Hope everyone with the Blackhawks gets fired or traded to Edmonton and they have to relocate to somewhere stupid like Cleveland or Hamilton and change their name to the Silly Wombats or something else dumb. Screw that entire org. Aussie for Hall of Fame. Stay fresh cheese bags. One note on the, you know, third, second, third round picks. It's not unique to last year. It happens every time. And I think it's perfectly fair to research and have your targets. Just know that if you thought the first round was unpredictable, oh boy, does that open up as you get into the second and third rounds, which does make it sweeter when there's a guy where you're like, oh, this is a super underrated player. I want the Red Wings to take him really badly. Um, 
or that, you know, this guy has a lot of value and could really pan out in a big way and the Red Wings get him with a late second or third round pick, then that makes it more fun. Do you know how many times the Red Wings have picked my favorite guys um, like mid second round or later? Never, not once. They haven't done it. I hate it. I like it, once I just want it to happen, but they never do. I find that it's always Toronto, Carolina, or LA who's doing it lately. They seem to be the biggest winners. Always Carolina. Yeah. Always Carolina. And Philly last year, because I liked Andre and Zade Wisdom, and they took both of them. And yeah, boy, did Zade Wisdom too. pop off this year. So yeah, hey, old successes there. That was one I was I was higher than most on that's working out but uh yeah the only guy outside of the first round where i would have banged the table and said take this guy where the red wings took him was bergren that was it that was my one (laughs) and that was like the second pick of the second round and uh just a couple reddit questions here uh jeremy d19 says uh do you guys think stetcher will be trade bait this year or is he worth keeping around to hold down the third pairing once we're better um i think both are true I think if Eisenman doesn't really get the offers that are worth it, I, I perfectly well see a, a lot of scenarios here where Stetcher stays with the team and they extend him further. I think he's been super viable. That said, I think he'll be an attractive asset for a lot of teams. So um, that will just be dictated by, I think, how the trade deadline is. Yarvik uh, 7 says, "Do you, are, you guys are the highlight of my hockey life right now. Thank you, and I really appreciate all of your efforts. Do you think UFOs are real? Eh, you know what? If uh, anything since twenty six or if, if twenty sixteen and onwards has taught us anything, it's that don't rule out the impossible. So yeah, why not? And uh, time for one more quickly. Um, Winter Swan four three three four says, "What are your thoughts on Vegas not having to participate in the upcoming expansion draft?" Um, you know, before the the expansion draft happened, it was easy to say that it was the right move. I think if the NHL knew now what they knew uh, knew now back then, phrase that poorly, uh, they wouldn't have made it this way. But I'm not too bothered by it. It kind of is what it is. Um, I would like to see it different, but it's not anything I'm going to lose sleep over. Um, so. That is just some very quick Reddit questions. Uh, apologies that you didn't get the full gamut of hosts answering that one. I uh, just had to quickly splice this in. Uh, some audio issues. Recording remotely. Can't wait till it's over. All right. Ryan, you're muted, buddy. I remember my first podcast. <laughs> all right. We're going to wrap up this episode of the podcast on that note. Uh, we'll be back with you midweek. Thank you all so much for tuning in Uh, again. For those of you who are offering your support and following us on Twitter. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you to our Patreon supporters, everyone who listens, everyone who's left reviews on iTunes. You you all mean the world to us and especially Evan. Uh, You're the only thing he cares about right now because golf is his enemy because he can't putt. Anyhow, uh, especially our name level Patreon supporters, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation. Brett Bailey, Terry, Driver of Cry and Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, Taylor Tagel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam al Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, 
Kalen Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, BJ Crisco, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as good as it gets, Stan Olson, the 20 centimeters of justice, Trevor Pevavar, vaxxed, waxed at the 69th annual SawCon. Thank you all so much. Stay tuned for the midweek episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.